Today we're in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to him as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth." In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory, the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sarah, and thank you all for joining us this morning online or here in our sanctuary today. It is so great to have you all with us. We appreciate it so very, very much. Well, we are just about three quarters of the way through the year 2020. What a year it's been, huh? In the midst of all that's been happening this year, uh, economic issues, issues of race and justice and other things, there's something that we haven't uh, spoken much about here on Sunday morning. And that has to do with the mental health effects of this pandemic. Last week, in an article in the Raleigh News and Observer titled, Pandemic Takes a Toll on Mental Health, I read these words, and I think you'll see them on the screen. More than a third of Americans reported having symptoms of anxiety or depression, according to an online survey done by the U.S. Census Bureau and the National Center for Health Statistics. Now, that compares to about 11% in the first half of 2019. Article went on to say, meanwhile, a survey of more than 5,400 adults in June found that 41% 41% said they've struggled with a mental or behavioral health problem since April, including anxiety, depression, and increased use of drugs or alcohol to deal with emotional issues. Both surveys found symptoms were most prevalent in young adults and decreased with age. Same article uh, went on to write that as of July, the number of people visiting an emergency room for an overdose of opioids or other addictive drugs in North Carolina was up about 20% over the same period last year. Youth in particular seem to be suffering from the isolation and the lack of normal community. 
this past week, I was talking with Pastor Brian Edmonds about this, and uh, there were a couple of our students studying here, and he asked the first one, he said, do you, do you see among your high school peers more uh, depression right now? And the, this, this guy said immediately, 100%, 100% more. Article um, for October this month in Christianity Today that just came out gave data from the National Institutes of Health saying that today one in three teens will experience an anxiety uh, disorder. Even before the pandemic began, the suicide rate for ages 15 to 19 had increased dramatically. From 2007 to 2017, in 10 years, the rate went up 76%, and it nearly tripled for adolescents aged 10 to 14. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, suicide is now the second leading cause of death for adolescents after accidents. That is one uh, reason Pastor Brian Edmonds is going to be speaking to our high schoolers tonight uh, in our youth uh, ministry time um, at 5 p.m. on the subject of depression. Uh, Youth, by the way, meets from 4 to 6 on Sunday nights, and high schoolers break out at 5 o'clock for that message, and then their small groups. Now, I know there are a number of factors that contribute to things like depression, anxiety, self-destructive thoughts, intrusive thoughts. Uh, there can be chemical issues, psychological issues, and I would always encourage anybody struggling with these things, and especially with any self-destructive thoughts, to see immediately a good counselor and a medical doctor. Both can be of immense help. But I think those of us who are Christians can also find much strength, much assurance, much inward strength and stability in better understanding and believing What God says about us, what God says is true for those who are in Christ. As Josh Gibbs wrote in an article uh, in a book called Them by Ben Sass, he writes, contentment is a condition of the soul, and it does not come with getting what you want, but giving thanks to God for what you've been given. And I think we Christians... Could, could do a better job of learning what we have been given in Christ. We sang a few minutes ago about uh, a very first song, I am who you say I am. And that's very true. I'd like to look at that um, this morning, but first would you join me as we pray again. Father, we come again today in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, I know that amongst your people today, watching online with us here, there are those who are feeling the effects of the pandemic. There are those who are struggling deeply with anxiety, with depression, some perhaps with self-destructive thoughts. Would you please, Father, in your great name, send your healing power, strengthen faith, Strengthen your people with might by your spirit in their innermost being. Father, I pray for comfort, for strength, for all who need your grace and peace today. And I pray this morning for your people, the prayer of the Apostle Paul, 
found in Ephesians chapter 1, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead. Father, would you open our eyes to see these things. Do a great work in us by your spirit today, we ask. In the name of Jesus. Amen. We are continuing today with our series that we've called One Story. We're looking through the whole Bible this year, from Genesis to Revelation. And we've been through the Old Testament. We've been through the four Gospels and the book of Acts and the New Testament. We're now looking at the letters of the New Testament. In particular, uh, for a few weeks here, the letters by the Apostle Paul. And today we're looking at the book of Ephesians. This book is so filled with spiritual wealth. I think if I had to use one word to describe the book of Ephesians, it would be the word rich. Rich in spiritual truth, spiritual reality about what God has done for those of us who have embraced the salvation provided by Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter when he was under house arrest in Rome. In fact, he says of himself in chapter 6 of Ephesians, uh, he, he refers to himself as an ambassador in chains. So here's Paul writing this letter. He's got chains on his wrists and on his ankles. And he's writing to us about our spiritual richness as believers in Christ. We're going to focus on that this morning. Who we are in Christ. But before we talk about who we are, I think it's important to read what the Apostle Paul says about who we were. Who I was before coming to Jesus. What does he say about that? Well, first of all, he says, before I embraced the salvation of Jesus, and it's true of every one of us, I was dead in sins. Verses 1 to 4 of chapter 2 read this way. And you were dead, and the trespasses and sins in which you walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And notice the important word, but. But God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, God intervened. In other words, before recognizing my sin and coming to faith in Jesus for his forgiveness and his salvation, I wasn't just unfulfilled or empty or confused or wandering or even just a, a not so good guy. Spiritually, I was dead. That's a pretty hopeless state. But note again the key word, but God. When we were in that state, God, by his power, intervened. And why did he intervene? Because of his great love. Who I was, I was, I was dead. And furthermore, Paul writes, I was separated from Christ. 
He goes on to write these words in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That is a pretty hopeless place to be, without God in the world. But now, and there's that word but again, God changes things. God chooses to intervene, to break into history. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He goes on to to say you're now fellow citizens with the saints, you're members of the household of God. God has done this for you if you've embraced the salvation that Jesus provided in his dying on the cross. Now, our salvation is all about but God, what God has done. He broke in. He did it. He intervened. Jesus broke into our world to save us. And now we're going to look at what Paul really majors on in the first chapter of the book of Ephesians. And that is the new identity that you and I have if we are in Christ. Our identity should not be shaped by what our friends think about us or say about us or the followers or friends you have on Facebook or or some other form of social media or, or even the way you feel. Our core identity is who God says we are in Christ. Because of what Jesus has done for us, because God in his great love broke into history and did what he has done, brought us out of spiritual death, made us members of the household of God, ten things are true that I'd like to consider this morning. Number one, if you are in Christ, if you have accepted the salvation Jesus provided, you've been made a saint. Notice verse one of the book, how Paul begins the book of Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, in New Testament usage, the word saint is not a special class or category of Christians. The church has used the word that day over the years. We talk about, you know, St. Aquinas or St. Saint, Saint Augustine or, or even St. Paul. But the word saint merely means a separated one. One that God has set apart, set apart to himself and for himself. If you're a Christian, if you've embraced Jesus' salvation, you're a saint. You're set apart to God and for God and by God. This is part of your identity. In Christ, you're a set apart person. You're a saint. To be a Christian is to be a saint. Secondly, in Christ... I've been blessed with grace and peace. Notice the way he greets those who are in Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now somebody may say, yeah, but I don't feel grace and peace. The reason I say that grace and peace are part of the heritage for those who are in Christ, part of God's provision for you in Christ, Part of his very clear will for you, if you are in Christ, is that these two words, I believe, are the most often repeated blessings, greetings, or benedictions we find in the letters of the New Testament. 
You flip through this afternoon. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. At the beginning and end of these letters, you'll often find the words grace and peace to you. Now, this isn't just a, a, a nice greeting from the Apostle Paul. These are inspired by the Holy Spirit words. God is speaking to you. My grace to you. My peace to you. It's what Jesus has provided for you. It's part of your spiritual heritage in Christ. The grace of God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Number three, if you're in Christ, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Notice what verse three says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. And notice this is an accomplished fact already. He has blessed us in Christ with a blessing here and there. No. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. What does that mean? I really don't know what that means. One commentator named John Stott writes, it's, it's every blessing of the Holy Spirit. This is a vast and, and comprehensive thing that I can't begin to comprehend. But it's part of our heritage in Christ. God has done it. He's done it for those who are in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. Number four, if you're in Christ, this is part of your identity, and I would encourage you to think about it and to grasp it because it is so very important. You have been chosen, chosen before the foundation of the world. Note what verse four says. Even as he chose us in him that is in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. We sang about that a few minutes ago, didn't we? I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. You can say about yourself what God says about you is true. Do you ever think of yourself this way? Would you feel rejected by your friends? You feel bullied at school? If you've accepted Jesus, do you know that you are chosen by God? Have you ever reflected on the fact that before the foundation of the world, God chose you because of his great love for you? It's part of your identity. Think of yourself as chosen by God. Now, closely related to this is the next word, the word that raises the most uh, questions, I think, in the whole first chapter of the book of Ephesians. It's the word predestined. In Christ, I have been predestined for adoption. There are few words in the New Testament that, that raise more eyebrows and get the, 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 uh, the heart rate up of more people than the word predestination. It's a biblical word. I have to chuckle about this. I don't think he'd mind me sharing this at all because uh, this, this is a friend and a leader in our church. But I remember um, someone who was visiting our church years ago for the very first time. I was walking in the back after the message and we met for the very first time. And he asked me, 
does this church believe in predestination? And I had the very distinct feeling that if I said yes, uh, that, that might not uh, be considered the, the best thing in the world. And I don't remember what I, I said to him. I think I said something like, you know, we, we believe everything the Bible teaches. And I just encourage you to come for a little while and see if you think we are teaching God's Word, the Bible, um, and doing it faithfully. And the reason I chuckle now is he's an elder in our church today and a good friend and somebody I like and admire a whole lot. Now, the word predestined, if we look it up in the Greek and compare it with different English translations, here's what it really means. Predestined. That's exactly what it means. Exactly what it means. It means to decide beforehand. Now, I think the reason some people struggle with this so much is that it makes us think somehow that God is unfair. Frankly, I'm glad doesn't, God doesn't make all his decisions on the basis of fairness, because if he did, I would not be a Christian. I would not be saved. I would not be accepted by God because of my sins. Someone will raise this question, but yes, don't we have a responsibility to repent and decide to accept God's salvation? Yes, we do. Absolutely we do. That is crystal clear in the Bible. Repent, believe. To all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, John writes. Now somebody may ask, well, how do you reconcile that then? God's predestining work and human responsibility. How do you reconcile that if they're both taught in the Bible? I don't know. Someone once said, I don't try to reconcile friends. Two sides of the same coin. Someone shared an illustration with me years ago that, that went something like this. They said, you know, when we approach heaven, it'll be as if there's a gigantic gate. And as we're, we're coming toward heaven, we'll read the words on that gate. Whosoever will, let him come. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. We walk through the gate. We're in heaven. And we look back at it from the inside and we read the words. Chosen before the foundation of the world. Someone may say, well, I don't understand that. Listen, friends. If we understood everything in the mind of God, we'd be dead and we'd be in heaven. Because that's the time when we're going to understand. The Apostle Paul himself said, now I see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I'll know fully, even as I'm fully known. There are things taught in Scripture, like the fact that God has no beginning. And no end that my finite human mind cannot really grasp or understand. But I accept them as divine truth. Now, back to our point here, predestined for adoption. Having said all that, I think the key word in the sentence is not the, the, the word predestined, but rather the noun that, that follows it, the object of the word for, the word adoption. We're predestined for adoption. I think that's the, the real word we should emphasize in this particular sentence because it's what God has done. He has adopted us. 
I love the picture of adoption in the New Testament. And the reason I love it so much is because I've known uh, quite a few families over over the years in our church who've chosen to adopt children. And you know what their motivation is for adoption? It's a love, love in their hearts, overwhelming love that, that wants to be poured out on a child. You know what I'm talking about, uh, Sherry, others of you here. They don't choose to adopt because somehow they know the deservedness of the child they're going to adopt. They adopt because the love they have in their hearts that they've chosen to, to set upon a child. As we read in Ephesians 1 and verse 5, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself through Jesus Christ, if you could advance that verse, according to the purpose of his will. It's his love that's the motivation for his adopting work. And if you are in Christ, you've been adopted by God chosen by God. And if you're struggling with depression, anxiety, self-destructive thoughts, again, I urge you, see a counselor, see a medical doctor, but also embrace the reality of what Jesus Christ has done for you, your in Christ identity. Don't let your identity be shaped by what others think of you or what you think others think of you. Your identity is solidly founded on what God says about you, and he says you're chosen, you're adopted. Number six, in Christ, we've been blessed with his glorious grace. Notice what verse six says, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Why has God done what he's done? This chosen from the foundation, predestined for adoption. Why does Paul say God's done all this? It's to the praise of his glorious grace. And he goes on to say, we have been given this grace, we've been blessed with this grace in the beloved. Now the word beloved is capitalized because it refers to Jesus, in Christ. You're in the beloved if you've accepted Jesus. That's part of who you are. It's part of your identity. And in the beloved, you are a recipient of the glorious grace of God. A great man who was uh, my pastor for many years, Pastor Dick Little, once said that some define grace with a little acrostic, God's riches at Christ's expense. And that is what Ephesians chapter 1 is really all about, isn't it? In Christ, number 7, We've been redeemed and forgiven. Notice what verse 7 says. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. The word redeem in its New Testament use conveys the idea of buying someone out of something. As Joseph uh, spoke of at the very beginning of the service, God buying us out of our slavery to sin. That's Uh, redemption, redeeming us. And the price of our redemption was not money, something far more precious, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That was the the cost of bringing us out of our sin, bringing us to God, the blood is shed on the cross, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Why? No other reason than this, to the praise of his glorious grace, the riches of his grace. 
Number eight, in Christ, we've been given the knowledge of his will. God's made known his plan to us. Verses 9 and 10 read this way. Making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Do you know that all this we're talking about in Ephesians chapter 1? It's all because of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. If you go through the verses that Sarah read for us at the very beginning, this passage we're looking at, this afternoon, and you count the references to Christ, or Jesus, or some pronoun, he, or him, or his, some reference to Jesus or his work, you will find more references than verses, more than 15, I think. It's all about him. And when you are in him, you are a recipient of all these spiritual blessings and the heavenly places that have been secured for you by Christ, in Christ. Number nine, in Christ I've been given an inheritance. Verse 11 reads, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, there's that word again, according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. What is this inheritance? I don't know. I'm sure it's related to every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I think it is far more than material things. In fact, I don't think it's primarily material at all. Because in God's kingdom... The presence of God, the glory of God, the kindness of God, the love of God. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that God has raised us up and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ. In other words, in the ages to come, in heaven, for those who are in Jesus, there will be a continual unfolding, according to the Apostle Paul, the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I'll just let that verse speak for itself because I don't really know what it means, but it has to do with our spiritual inheritance that has been secured for us in Christ. In him, we have obtained it's already been settled, accomplished by Jesus in inheritance. Number 10, related to this and the guarantee of our inheritance, we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Verses 13 to 14 read this way. In him you also, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, and by the way, again, it is necessary to have heard the gospel of salvation and have believed in Jesus. And when that happened, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. The word guarantee, as it's used here, conveys the idea of a down payment. The first 
taste. Have you ever, if you think of the time in your life when you felt the closest to God, for me those times have almost always been when I was alone with God, sometimes on a, a personal prayer retreat, and there has just come a sense of the presence of the Holy Spirit that was overwhelming and made me just fall on my knees and the, the overwhelming sense of the love of God. And you think of the, the times in your life you, you, you felt the closest. That is just a foretaste the Holy Spirit has given you is the guarantee of your inheritance. Until we acquire possession of it fully one day when we are in his presence. Why has God done all these things for us? They're all secured by Christ. The real theme of chapter 1 of Ephesians is Jesus Christ. And Related to this is our in Christ identity, what he has done for us. And so I want to say it again to you, particularly on um, adolescents, students, young adults. Do not let your view of yourself, your self-image, your identity be shaped by friends or followers or feelings. Those things will change and they will come and they will go and they are inconsistent and insecure. If you are in Christ, you have a secure foundation. And you have an identity. You're in Christ identity. You are chosen. You've been adopted. You've been given an inheritance in him. Why has God done all this? The simplest reason is just this, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, who he is and what he's done. Before we sing about that and praise him for that, would you join me as we pray? Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. I especially want to pray right now for children for students, for young adults, for college students. They feel their wor world has been turned upside down this year. And Lord, for many, it's so very difficult. Would you please do a work in them by your spirit today? Would you draw them close to yourself? Would you let them sense your love for them and your nearness to them? Would you draw them to a secure faith in Jesus? And dependence upon him is the Lord of all. Father, I pray for each one here who's struggling with anxiety, with depression. Lead them to the help that is needful for them. And as you do that, give them a greater rootedness and groundedness in their in Christ identity. For those listening who may have never accepted your free gift of salvation, Lord, draw them today to turn from sin and turn to you and say, Lord, I believe. Jesus, I receive what you have done. And Lord, as we pray for our church and our members, 
and those among us. We pray for this nation in which we live. Would you be pleased to pour out your Holy Spirit on the United States of America, that the name of Jesus Christ would be magnified, in his ways be known, in his will be followed. We ask in his great name. Amen.